and welcome again to another podcast on Racism is Real in Ireland. And today we have four special guests for you and we're going to be talking about employment. So without wasting any time, because we have a lot of chat, a lot of information for you today, I'm going to introduce, first of all, Dr. Edmund Joseph, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on today. We are so grateful to have you and we want to know a lot about your research. So thanks for being there. And then we've got Dr. John Wilkins. Hi, how are you? And thanks again for having you, me as well. Thank you for coming again. And then we've got Nana here. Hi, how are you? Thanks good. for having me. Good, good, good. I want you all to be feel really comfortable because we're going to talk about a subject that hits most of us as Africans, as you know. Yeah. This is all about telling it the way it is, okay? So before we start, I'm just going to have you talk about your journey. I'm going to start with Nana first quickly. What brought you to Ireland? What happened? Well, I didn't have a choice, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> Go well, ahead. my parents just brought me here. I came here when I was seven. So it was about 20 years ago. Um, I mean, in hindsight, I, I guess I understand that the opportunities that we have here, that would be here, weren't provided for us in Nigeria at that point because the country was in a state of uncertainty where, you know, if you weren't extremely wealthy, it was very difficult to secure a good future and it was very difficult for your children to accomplish purpose. Um, I, I, I mean, my mom's going to listen to this, so it's going to be a bit sad for her. But I, I understand that. So my brother, I had a brother who unfortunately passed away. It was in Nigeria and it was, it was very, it was something, he had an accident and they got to the hospital and they couldn't, they didn't have any oxygen in the hospital. Like oh a basic, gosh. a basic thing that a hospital should have. And it was a simple, like it was a very simple procedure that he needed. He just needed oxygen at that point, and he didn't have any oxygen. So the poor boy lost his life over oh something. It was a, it was a senseless death. It was something so easily preventable, and this was a private hospital. <laughs> so you had paid. It paid for this. Um, so that that was when I, my parents really started taking it seriously to leave the country because they had already lost one child. And they weren't they weren't about to wait for yeah, other things that happen to lose the other children. Yes. So um yeah, so that 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 was definitely the start of us trying to leave the country at any at for as a, like as soon as possible. So yeah, we came here within within the year after about a, about two years after my brother passed, we were in Ireland. And um, your your parents are settled here. Yes, yes, and yes. And they've got their Irish passport. Yes, so yes. You're my like the second generation, then. Yeah, basically. Like I mean, I spent the first seven years of my life in Nigeria, but of course, I mean, the formative years were here, and my culture, although at home it was Nigerian to a certain extent, um, very much grew up in Ireland and would consider myself to have Irish culture and Nigerian culture. So you're mixed. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and um, what what kind of experience have you had in of, of Ireland? I mean, is it what kind of experience have you had? And obviously, we're talking about racism and things yes. like that. Have you been scot free? Have you had a great time? Y tell I, us the truth. I'm very grateful because, again, I understand and I do get, have the privilege to go back to Nigeria for, like about every year. So, I am very grateful to be here because I know what my alternative could be, and. It wouldn't be as privileged as I am here in terms of education and in terms of um, what it just having safety and security. However, of course, there is this downside of I, I came at seven 
didn't know what race was. I didn't know I was black or anything like that. I was just a child of person. However, I, I found it quite interesting that um, the Irish kids noticed my difference. It, it was interesting that I was the minority, but I didn't notice their difference. Like, I didn't know that, that they were white. I knew it was like they were Irish. I knew I wasn't, well, I thought I was in London, whatever, you know, <laughs> Nigerian things about his London. But but I didn't, I didn't notice the skin color per se. And they noticed my hair was different. My skin was different. People will ask me, oh, why, why do you look like that? Which I find funny because you all look different from me, but I didn't <laughs> think to ask you why you look like that. So I, I definitely noticed that they noticed my difference like very early on. This was from seven when people weren't told. Like in Ireland at that time, weren't, there weren't many black people. I was the first black person that many people had ever seen before because we were like in, in Mead. So I didn't notice my difference, but they'd noticed it and many people t- thought so it was interesting to highlight it. So I mean, like there are th- like three things stand out growing up. The boys didn't like me because I didn't look nice to them. <laughs> The Irish boys didn't like me. And Irish girls were nice. However, whenever we had a fight, the go-to thing was this, was to bring up my race. So that was like, I, I was I had friends. But then whenever you had a fight, you know, when you, when you love someone, you you know what hurts them. So the go-to thing was to say, oh, but you're like the N-word. Or bring up something about being from Africa and being backwards. And th- so that was that wasn't pleasant. Um, but however, I think it really hurt me when I was in sixth sixth class. I moved schools, and we were in this um, school that was slightly underprivileged. My parents, we know that now. <laughs> we didn't know that then. <laughs> and so I should know. Like, and this was a time. So I had been in Ireland at that point about maybe five years. So this was a time that people there were lots there were lots more Nigerians coming, lots more Black people coming in, and it was making people in Ireland, the Indigenous Irish, uncomfortable. So we now began to get outright you know n-words and i mean in my class they didn't call me my name they actually would call me the n-word so like that was weird Uh, but i didn't i because and because i i was lucky because at that point there were more black people so i did have a safe space in school so at lunchtime i would just hang out with the black girls and the black guys so we didn't have to mix as much so like they would just call me the n-word and the teacher would hear it and would just do nothing so that was very strange that kind of created a lot of hate inside of me towards um, the Irish race. But obviously when I went to secondary school and realized that education is has a huge impact on how people look at the world. So I went to a, a different school, a better school, where people were a little bit more enlightened and it was easier to, to integrate with um, that my Irish peers at that point. However, I I'd definitely found a comfort in the safe space of having black friends. So I just really hung out with black people most of the time, <laughs> which which was which like when I look at it now, I'm like, oh, goodness, I should have I should have mixed more. But the but in primary school, because of the negative experiences I had, it just made me very reluctant to go out of my comfort zone and mix more. So um like and also like the boys in like and I, I, I married a Nigerian man and I get it now. Irish people are like, oh, why, you've lived here so long. Why did you marry why didn't you marry an Irish guy? I'm like, because they didn't like me, okay? <laughs> but like that was obviously when they were little boys and then they're older. But now obviously people are older and we understand that we're all humans. We're not we're not aliens and people are more open to mixing. So, um, but I, I, it definitely did form my perspective on of life and my outlook on, on whiteness and blackness and race. And I had a lot of undoing to do. I had to undo a lot of 
like mental hurt that I had gone through in primary school. Um, I did that through reading a lot of books by, interestingly enough, I read a lot of books by, because I didn't understand I was, I knew I was black, right? So I read a lot of books by African-Americans, but I later, I gradually learned that I'm actually not African-American <laughs> black. <laughs> I'm Nigerian black. Yeah. So then oh, that was when I discovered Chimamanda and Ngozi Adichie. And I was like, yeah. whoa, we write books? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know that black people wrote books, which is, sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. I knew there was this guy, Chinwachibe, but I didn't know there were more of them. So when I, when I read Chimamanda at 15, then I discovered I was Nigerian black and I found my African blackness. And I was like, whoa, we are amazing <laughs> black people. Like my ancestors were warriors and kings. And, and that really built my confidence in myself and my blackness. And then it really made me um, passionate about defending, not defending, but standing up for black race and understanding that my blackness is not a negative thing. Mm. I mean, and I know I know from growing up in Ireland that the issue wasn't with me. I didn't have an issue with how people looked. People had an issue with how I looked. That's a very interesting point. Thank you for taking the time. First of all, I just want to, you know, I'm so sorry, condolences. I know it's been a long time for your brother. That, But, you know, things brought us to yes. Ireland. It wasn't, for most people, just a choice of let me just go. Mm-hmm. Something brought us there. And your parents, obviously, sense that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And they brought you here for a better life that you would never have to lack oxygen, yes. you know, because I can imagine the pain of a parent. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it was also good. But the primary school side, we're going to come back to that some other time to say, my God, things can be so easily formed at a very, very mm-hmm. young stage. Sure, yes. And I want the government to note that, mm-hmm. that from an age where people can feel pressure mental um mm. depression of just knowing that hold on i didn't think anything different of you but you thought i was different thank mm. you hold that point thank you for sharing that journey dr Ebon joseph do you just want to tell us very quickly how you came to ireland <laughs> i think that's a, a whole long story that right just shorten it for to, us please you know, but i think that i think maybe the, the one of the important things is that you know people um People move for different reasons, mm. but ultimately everybody who's moved, so whether they, when the Irish moved abroad or when the Irish moved to the UK or to the Americas, you know, everybody moves for a better life. Nobody's moving to say, oh, I'm going to have a worse life mm-hmm. than what I had, you know, from wherever I'm coming from. People move either they are looking for protection, you know, whether there's, um, you know, wars or famine or or whether there is, you know, unsettlement in where they're from, or people move for relationships, you know, yes. maybe, you know, mm. move, you know, with their partners, you know, and those who move for safe spaces, you know, and some people who just move, you know, because they are economic migrants. I think that sometimes when we begin to look at the issue of race, or when we begin to look at um, racial inequality or racial injustices, sometimes we get hung up on why people move. Mm. And I say that, you know, the, the key thing is not even why people move, but is is how we make the space um, wherever people have moved to and to realize that the whole world, that, you know, we're constantly, uh, we're constantly moving. If you look at the numbers of people who are, um, you know, of migrant descent, you know, around, you know, the OECD right now, so, you know, you know huge percentage of, of people, you know, who are living, who are not born, you know, where they, they are living right now. You know, so sometimes we get hung up on on why people move, and then we miss out because we then use that as a a reason, you know, for the racial inequalities, mm. you know, that people experience. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you very much. 
Very good point there, because um, as you can remember, I don't want to mention any TD's name, but he said that um, most people came over here because we are sponges. And so it's yeah. important for people to understand that, no, we didn't come here to sponge off the country. We actually have a purpose for yeah. coming here. So thank you, yeah, Dr. absolutely. Thank you very much. And John, I just want you to introduce yourself again to the audience. Thank you very and much. why you came here. Thank, a lot. thank you very much, Dr. Ebon. I'm going to come back to you in a few minutes. Dr. Well, you know, I think that uh, Dr. Joseph has a really good point. I mean, the fact that no matter why we came here, uh, no one moves here to be like, you know, um, treated as a second class citizen. So regardless, I mean, people will say to you, well, it's, it's better here, even if you're having problems, it's better here than where you came from. But no one leaves to come to another country once again to be treated poorly. And I think that, you know, if that is going to be, you know, the um, answer that we're receiving from people when we speak up and say that there is injustice in the country, then they're losing the opportunity to make things better, not only for us, but for people like them as well because I think that you know like you've said you know we have value when we come to the country we give things you know we we're articulate you know we bring culture with us you know and uh, and um, everybody wants the same things basically they want a, a good home they want to feed their children they want to educate their children and, you know, there are many ways to solve that problem. You know, Ireland has a lot of problems <laughs> right now. And, you know, and if they were open to other perspectives or other points of view, perhaps there would be solutions to those problems. So um, my situation was that, like, you know, I, um, I'm an economic migrant. You know, the, the, uh, the economy uh, crashed in the United States. And I took that opportunity to apply for a Ph.D. at Trinity. And um, I was lucky enough to get accepted to the program, and I finished now. So I'm Dr. John Wilkins. Thank you very much. And but Dr. John. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. John. Dr. John will heal your racism. <laughs> no, but on, on a serious point, you know, I think that, you know, Nana has a really good point. It's a journey for all of us because, you know, regardless of my American accent or regardless of my gender, it's Trump by race. You know, it's how we're treated when we come here. Our difference is highlighted, you know, not because we're human beings or because we're men and women. It's because we're black. And that's the first thing that people see. And, you know, it's really amazing to me in 2019 that that's still the litmus test for humanity. It's like, you know, it's the white gaze still, you know, so... Yeah, that's how I feel. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. We've got that first round. We've got it. We all know why we came here. But yeah. the things that we brought something good with us to share. Of course. Now, I wanted to just talk because we move for a better purpose. That's You've right. all highlighted that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we need to be employed to earn, to be able to put a roof over our head, mm -hmm. to feed our children. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have children, just to live and, you know, to have the dignity that we have. But employment has been a major thing from all the research. And I'm going to come to Dr. Ebu now because she has done a major research. And I want to, um, wanted her to highlight what she found in that. Because without employment, our dignity is eroded away. The, especially for men. And I say especially for men. Because when a black man is always being told... He cannot take care of his own family and he struggles and he still can't take care of his own family. I think you take something out of that man. You take something out of that woman too. 
because you, you, you really are stabbing that man and saying he's worthless. Mm -hmm. And I think for those of us who've had boys, I've got boys and they've, got a, they've grown up now and they need to understand that employment is part of your dignity as a man mm -hmm. and as a woman. That's right. I think, but more so, I think I'm very concerned about black, black um, men where they end up because of this lack of employment. So, Dr. Ebon, I'm going to come to you very quickly and say, please, Dr. Ebon, what have you found out? Furnish us with your research, please. And, and, and thanks, you know. I think, you know, when I started on this journey of trying to understand the differential in labor market outcome, you know, between different groups, I actually didn't know what I was going to find. I just, you know, um, so I have learned, you know, I've learned so much, you know, just from the people I spoke to, the interviews, the data, you know, that I, I came across. I think that, you know, one of the most important things that we can remember is that people talk about integration and all of those things, you know, that when people move for a better quality of life, you know, again, it, it's it's around the 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 hierarchy of needs. You know, once you're once you have a roof over your head or you're safe or you're on safe ground and you feel a certain level of safety, the next most important thing is to be able to provide for your needs. You know, so nobody like you know, John said that, Doctor John said that. You know, like nobody has come, you know, to Ireland to say, oh, I want to go and look for you know a free life. Everybody's come, you know, with the mindset of say they want to work. You know, I was working with an organization, business and a community, and I worked with them for nine years as a training and employment officer. But one of the things I noticed um, in, in the course of my work, because I was working with people of migrant descent in Ireland, people who had the right to live and work in Ireland, um, were helping them to navigate their way through the labor market. So those who needed to train or needed interview skills or different things, they were working with them. But we just noticed, I noticed, and my colleagues as well, we noticed that, you know, when our clients, you know, were white, it, was a, it took us a, a shorter time to help them navigate the labor market to find work or, you know, to be able to go into the workplace. But we found that for our black clients, it took a whole lot longer. In fact, an average of two years for us to be able to help them navigate. So that, you know, that was bothering me. It troubled me a lot, you know, to say, like, you know, yes, I know, you know, that, you know, people, we expect to take a migrant penalty, but not a migrant penalty that is so obvious, you know, mm -hmm. because when we talk about it, people say, oh, it's because you're immigrants. I say, okay, if it is because we are immigrants and all of these people are immigrants, then all people of migrant descent who have the same academic background or the same academic level of uh, education, they should have the same outcome. But that is not the case. So most times people say it's language. But then I could see a lot of the um, Nigerian people who came to the program could speak English well, you know, yet they were still not able to navigate. They couldn't even find, I'm talking about even unpaid work. For, I mean, that was just the height of it. Even finding unpaid work, volunteering, it was difficult for them to get that. Even those of them who were um, on an education course that required internship, some of them couldn't find that, you know. And so I began to say, okay, so if it is not, if everybody who is an immigrant is not having the same labor market outcome, then there must be something, you know. 
So I used resources of data to try and check it out, you know. I didn't just want to go with the idea in my head. I needed to do this scientifically. And also I went back in, you know, I'd done my master's, and then it said, okay, let me go and do a PhD in this and study it, you know, in depth. You know, so again, one of the, and just because of your time so that I don't keep you too long, um, but one of the key things that I found was that, you know, when you look at the labor market, so the experiences of people coming into the labor market, um, when I looked at the census statistics, because I did my PhD, I finished it in 2015, so I, it was the 2011 census stats that was available. And so when I looked at the census statistics, you know, you find that the unemployment rate, you know, of uh, Nigerians was, you know, uh, 42%, you know, compared, you know, so compared to the Eastern Europeans, compared to the Western Europeans, you know, so you find that the, the uh, difference, even when we look at our 2016 census right now, you actually see that um, Eastern Europeans have a, an unemployment rate of 13 to 17 percent, while the Western Europeans have an unemployment rate of between 5 and 8 percent. But Africans, people of African descent, um, have uh, an unemployment rate of between 43 percent and 63 percent. As of 2011, the Congolese, the unemployment rate of Congolese in Ireland was 70 percent. So it's gone down to 63. But 63 percent, I mean, in a time when we're saying that we almost are at full employment, it is shocking. So when I looked at it, the, the you know, I have some academic papers out there which show that. But you find that when people come into the Irish labor market, so the experiences that they have is that based on skin color, based on skin color, immediately you see a divide. You see uh, an experience where darker people are moved into, they have what we call more of a downward uh, mobility, you know? You see that, you know, so like the, when, we, when they come into the labor market, the blacks who come into the people who are black in Irish labor market, they first have a downward mobility or a slower lateral mobility. In other words, they are not going up, they go down, you know, and most of them go into volunteering or retraining. So most of them are not able to go straight into paid employment. They go into volunteering and then or they go back to school. So first, their education is not taken here. So they retrain here in Ireland. But for the white um, Europeans who come into Ireland, you know, they have more of a, a lateral um, but faster mobility. So they also don't just go straight, you know, upward mobility. They, it is lateral, but it is much faster. So most of them go into precarious jobs, you know, and maybe working in pubs or, or, you know, working in, you know, hotel services, even when they have, you know, master's degrees and you know university degrees but the difference there is that between the blacks and the whites the black africans who come into ireland they stay in that unemployed state and volunteering and retraining state for up to three to five years just retraining and going back to school and doing more voluntary work before they, most of them are able to get paid employment why the white Europeans are able to navigate with Two years. Once they come in, immediately most of them are able to get precarious jobs. You know, bad, you know, bad uh, employment rates, maybe sleeping buggers or you know, or working on the pub. But they are able to get paid employment, and that is really, really important to note. You know, and, and so you find that the experiences of people of migrant of Black African descent, many of them they describe it as what we call good 
someone with a degree, with a master's degree, most of them could not find employment. So they, they, in, in order to try and navigate what I call the areas of least resistance, they try, they can't get paid employment, then they keep you know, reducing their expectations. You know, those who came in you know, thinking they would go to management level, which they were in, in their common countries before they came, they negotiated downward. And then most of them go back for a level 9, level 8 degree. Most of them go back and do a level 5 so that they can get care work because those are the kind of jobs that they seem to be able to get. So again, you know, and that's why we are calling that this is a brainwave. So when people who are qualified to a certain level have to go and retain four levels more than what they have in order to be able to navigate the labor market. So you begin to see uh, that impact. So, so that, that understanding, so again, three things that I did. Number one was I spoke with, you know, I interviewed 32 people um, of Spanish, Polish, and Nigerian descent and asked them their pathway how they were able to navigate from when they came to Thailand to finding employment and, you know, look at their experiences. And just to be clear, you know, most times when we start talking about unemployment, you know, of people of migrant descent, immediately everybody starts saying asylum seekers, level of English, you know, uh, right to work. All of the people who came to the program, all of the people who are interviewed, were people who had the right to live and work in Ireland without a work permit. So they were not looking for work permits. As of 2014, when I did the interviews, most of them were already Irish citizens. You know, uh, so even the Africans were already Irish citizens. So the and the Europeans, Europeans anyway. You know, so they they were not looking for permits to work. So and they were still experiencing that. You know, so the people that interviewed showed that. And then when you look at our, our census, as of 2011, when you look at our census. You know, immediately you will see a huge divide. You know, uh, it showed that you know the the Spanish um, people in Ireland at the 20 level, 62 um, percent of them had third level. The Polish had 22 percent had third level education, while the Nigerians about almost 40 percent, 39.4 percent had third level education. But when you look at their progression into work, only 32 percent of the you know Nigerians, despite the fact that they are um, third level education was so 32 percent so 32% you know were in, you know, in employment compared to the police at 56 and 66% for the Spanish so you can see like a, a huge divide you know and, and even after 2011 you know when we are we are still in the middle of all the recession and all of that we find that only 7% of the Spanish had given up their first job while 13% of the police and 70% of Nigerians. I think, you know, so when you begin to look at um, the differential in, in outcome, our census, so the census uh, 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 statistics shows you immediately, you know, a, a differential in outcome, you know, based on, um, based on, on, on nationality of these things. Then I went to the census and I said, okay, let me check if black or white makes a difference, you know? And then I looked at, you know, white Europeans at 2011, they were 60% in employment. Black Africans were only 37% in employment. And black Africans, but not black, but not African, 60% were in employment. You look at those who were looking for their first job um, in the center, the white Europeans, only 1% of them were seen to be still looking for their first job. For black Africans, it was 4.5%. 
were looking for their project. So immediately you see that skin color made a difference, you know, uh, in the labor market outcome. Nationality of different made a huge difference in Ireland in navigating the labor market. When we talk about integration, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about families, when we talk about antisocial behaviors, I always bring it back to the labor market. There is no integration without employment. If people don't have jobs, not because they don't want to work, but because they cannot find work. This is an economy where we are saying that we are almost at full employment. Yet we have people who are qualified who cannot navigate the labor. I mean, I can tell you my own personal experience. You know, mm-hmm. Honestly, I have been fortunate. I am privileged. I cannot lie about it. But I have worked hard. I'm lecturing at college. I am privileged, but also because I have worked extremely hard. Extremely hard. You know, so, I mean, like, so I can give you, like, experiences of, of discrimination that I have experienced. You know, even before I could begin to um, work in third level institutions as a career development consultant, I was qualified to get a job as a career development consultant in 2010. I did my master's that qualified me to, to be a career development consultant in a university. In, I finished it in 2010. I did not get the first uh, um, role in a third level institution until 2015, when I was overqualified. I had a PhD before I got a job. I only needed a postgraduate, a level 9 postgraduate to get. You understand? You know, so most times when we navigate in the labor market, you almost are overqualified. And the, I mean, the OECD report shows that, you know, that people of migrant descent are, you know, usually almost 50%, they have a 50% chance of being overqualified when they are employed. Again, there's statistics, there's reports, not just island-wide, but, you know, not just in Ireland, but EU uh, statistics that shows, you know, the, the, the labor market you know, uh, differential, you know, in, in, in Alton. So, yeah, so there is a, you know, just shows, you know, so I use three different sources you know, to show the differential in labor market outcome based on nationality, based on skin color. And just one last thing I would say is that when people want to, because statistics can be very deceptive, and so it is how we use statistics. When people talk about labor market outcome and we use the word immigrant, then what happens is that people fall to the cracks. So for me, I'll say if you want to really get down and understand and see the level of differential in labor market outcome, you must break it down to nationality of descent. That is the only time it becomes clear and visible that there is a disparity in outcome. Break it down on the basis of skin color, black or white. You will see the, I mean, the difference is it, 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 The difference is like black or white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and if you go to our central statistics, you know, there's a database set. It's very interactive. So there's a video. I mean, our census is brilliant. There's a, there's a video that teaches you how to interact, you know, and ask it questions. It will just, you know, it will, it will just search for what you want. It will give you those statistics. You know, so, yeah, so, so don't, let us not conflate, you know, and say immigrants, you know, or let us not just say unemployment. Let us break it down to different nationalities. Then you will begin to see those who are falling behind and those who are, be, you know, falling through the cracks and can't seem to find.
find employment. Thank you so much, Dr. Ebron. You've given us such clarity in your studies, and I really great admiration for your work. I'm just going to quickly thank you so much. I want to quickly, please stay on the line. I just want to talk to Dr. John, who, Dr. John, you heard the experience of um, her own personal experience of being qualified and not being able to get a job years afterward, well qualified. But what about your, what's been your own take on this? Well, you know, I just want to reiterate what Dr. Joseph Joseph has said, you know, in her uh, 2018 article, you know, whiteness and racism examining the racial order in Ireland. It's the fact that, you know, when you do drill down into the information, what you get clearly is the insight in that blackness is the sole criteria why people are not able to rise to the level that they need to be. You know, Dr. Joseph herself is a, you know, is a prime example of that. You know, I have a PhD and I'm working in customer service and I just think, you know, why is that? <laughs> you know, why is that? You know, it's, it's so I just want to reiterate the fact that, you know, what Dr. Joseph's work does is it quantifies exactly what it is. You know, it breaks it down so you can clearly see that uh, in this country, race trumps everything. It trumps education, it trumps gender, it trumps accent, <laughs> you know, it trumps everything. So, you know, I think that that's important to reiterate. But I, you know, I want to talk as well about, you know, what it is that we want, you know, um, may, we want the Minister of Justice to do some things. We want the Minister of Justice to recognize that race is crucial to the statistics that they put out and uh, that the minister needs to be referencing blackness in terms of um, reporting, you know, how people get hired, you know, what is the statistics in labor? Blackness needs to be a part of that. and. Also, the minister needs to be sensitive to who we are as well, because we live in this country where racism is a problem. And so when they start reporting out that data and preferencing us, which they need to start doing, they need to do it in a sensitive way so that we don't receive backlash from people saying, oh, it's because you're black that you got that job or you took my job because I'm Mm -hmm. black. You know, I think that what we want the minister to do is recognize us and their statistics, recognize our plight, and also be sensitive to it when they start to remediate, when they start to make uh, concessions for us, because they're going to, they need to, they need to. There cannot be a brain waste in this country, and there also cannot be a population that gets uh, precluded from work just because of their race. Right. I mean, the, 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 the thing is that I'm trying to get from you is that when you say to make a concession, mm-hmm. are we saying that if you, like, say, for example, we'll look at Google and say, listen, we have people who are qualified in our community that mm-hmm. can do the job on this level and that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the reason for not taking them? Okay, so is that what we're asking for? For for example, for example, if I go to the grocery store, I can see people of all nationalities, you know, on the front line, you know, bagging groceries, putting things on the shelf, you know, checking people out. But how many people of color and management roles in those companies, you know, are there not people African, black Africans or people of African descent here in the country who have enough education to be managers in those companies. When I go to other stores, me perhaps I can see people who look like me, 
But who's managing those people? Why does it mean that, you know, if we are lucky enough to get those entry level jobs that we do, ne we never progress into the management role or we're not even leaders in those companies ourselves. Most of those companies are international. They, there's EU legislation around racial discrimination and discrimination in employment. But we seem to be lacking here in Ireland. We seem to be falling behind. And that's why I say concessions must be made, because once again, Ireland is part of the EU. I think that, you know, if Ireland wanted to be Ireland for Ireland's sake, they shouldn't have joined the EU. They should have remained, you know, outside of the purview of an international conglomerate, an international grouping of countries. But, you know, I'm, I'm digressing. I don't want to get away from, you know, the fact that, you know, Dr. Joseph's work is important because the facts are the facts and you can't get away from them. So no matter how you feel about blackness, I mean, and, you know, what, you know, and whiteness is the problem. It's not blackness that's the problem, as Nana, like, you know, eloquently talked to us about. Out. Nana didn't have a problem when she came here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was whiteness that was like, you know, it was the white gaze that, you know, oppressed her and damaged her in a particular way. So it's this whiteness that has the problem. Whiteness needs to be really looked at. And one of the ways that, you know, you can concretely ad address that is through employment and just looking at Dr. Joseph's research and just saying, look it, you know, if we could get black unemployment down to 20%, 20%, you know, 1%, <laughs> you know, I just think that's by two, by, you know, by the next year, you know, 2021, uh, that would be a great movement, because that means that, you know, the country does have, you know, um, a desire or a will to move to internationality, to equality, but to remain the way it is. I mean, it's just, it's a damning position to be in. Right, it's damning for the government anyway. Can I just um, clarify, just, you know, mm -hmm. um, if I can give you the figures for that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, John was just mentioning, you know, the numbers assigned to managers. As at 2011, because I looked at the three groups that I had, you know, um, for the Spanish population, 15% of them were assigned to managers. For the Polish, 6.5% were assigned to managers. For Nigerians, it was only 4.5% of that population that we are assigned to managers. Yet in the census, it shows that those who communicate well in um, English, for the Polish, the level was 30%, while the Nigerians, according to the census statistics, 82% of them. So again, so communication and ability to communicate in English was not the determinant, you know, in in giving them only 4.4% of them who, you know, who are able to um, get to management level. Okay. Right, thank you. Well, one thing is definitely sure because you said you sampled people who were qualified to work here, who didn't have any problem with immigration. They had no problem with them um, with English. So definitely there is a problem that we need to address and address fast because um, I don't know, I use taxis quite a lot because of my situation. And I find a lot of when I get a Nigerian taxi driver, do you know what I've got? I should not be working a taxi driver, mm -hmm. but I am doing this, you know, and, you know, they've got PhD, they're doing taxi, they're doing masters and, you know, not just Nigerians. I think a lot of Africans that I've met is have 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 in the taxi rank have also said that we've always been overqualified yeah. to do the job. But the sad thing, Dr. Abu Joseph, I don't know whether you find this, is that people have resigned to it in our community. 
that yes, okay, I may do this, but I'm going to be a care worker anyway. That enables me to function and do my bit. Do you know, like, I'm, I'm sure, Dr. John, you've not resigned to customer. People tend to say, okay, I can't get about, I can't get about this. Let me just get on. You, you know, what would you say to that, Dr. Abel? I think, you know, like, and, and you know, a, a, another part of my research, again, I have a book coming out soon, um, looking at racial stratification in the labor market. It's being published by Manchester University Press, so hopefully in the next few months. But I talk, you know, a whole lot, you know, so I have solutions as well. So most times I come on, people ask me questions of the problem, so I talk about the problem. So I do have solutions that I theorize. Well, you know, you know what, why you're here, why you're here. But, yeah. Why you're here, but, you're but, going to give us two solutions. But I'm just going to quickly come on to Nana, because she okay. is the one that came here. And mm. um, <laughs> she suffered in, that, in, in, in a primary school. When she finally suddenly realised that she's black. Yeah. <laughs> now, Nana, what, you you're you're obviously studying at this point in time. Yeah. How have you? What, what have you been? Have you ever worked here? Yes. So, so I have. To, I do have to say I did enjoy primary school. Of, like, no, 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 <laughs> not everyone fine. was. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's fine. That's yeah. okay. Um. So, I think I do. The perspective I do have. I've I've heard Dr. Joseph and Dr. John's. Um. So obviously you guys are dealing with the almost like um the disease at the point so in ireland so i mean i i grew up with them in in ireland people are very there's very tight circles like even white americans will have problems breaking into the irish social circle once they're over a certain age so naturally in ireland people tend to Friends you've made from primary school are the friends you have forever. It's very difficult to break into the circle over time, and it's so even so even in work, people from even like sorry in the country people from Cork stick to, with people from Cork. People from Dublin will look at everyone else as beneath them. <laughs> people from Wicklow would look at everyone else as alien. So there is definitely this thing about uh, in the Irish culture of naturally othering difference. And so, I, so in terms of solutions, I think what we can definitely do is, in terms of education, is going into the primary schools at that point and having people learn, learn to be comfortable with difference. Because if you don't know how to, if you, if you never open up or you never hang out with people different that are different to you when you're young, you're not going to do it when you're older. So the people that are, we are going to now looking to hire us are people who didn't grow up with diversity had no, you're probably the first black person that they have no conversation with at this interview so i mean so def, that that definitely has had an impact so i've i've okay yeah so back to my education so i grew up here went to ucd study law trinity to do my master's um llm and i'm currently doing um i'm in the king's end trying to qualify to be a barrister mm. so so after my um my educate my my undergrad i went out looking for jobs in law firms fortunately or unfortunately for me i picked like like probably like the worst try um current industry to try and break into because the legal industry is naturally who knows who is the only are the only people that can succeed so i mean i, I would have had i mean one of the first experiences i had in terms of negative experiences when looking for work was when i was i was 
interviewing for one of the top law firms in Ireland. And the guy, and I was just talking, you know, doing the interview. And then the lad asked me how it was growing up in Ireland. And I was like, what's that got to do with what we're doing? And I didn't understand what he was saying. Then he then he explained himself and said, well, you know, I'm from the UK. And I, I knew it was a bit, people would make fun of my accent. How was, how did you take it when people with people? And I was thinking to myself, we're at an interview. Mm. I'm interviewing for an internship in your yeah. <laughs> law firm. Yeah. And you're asking me, what it's been like being black. You're bringing up my race. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was basically giving me a heads up. How thick is your skin, mm-hmm. Nana? Because in this industry that you're going into, people, you will get some backlash. And obviously he didn't think I, my skin was thick enough, so I didn't get the job. <laughs> but, <laughs> His but, loss. Yeah, definitely your loss. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so that was something, I mean, that, that shook me when I entered the job market because I realized, I was like, I went to the best universities in this nation. Mm-hmm. UCD and Trinity, top, top universities. But yet, my race was going to be a question, was going to be an issue and has been. So it's, so for me, it was definitely a shock. And I understand that. And I, because I grew up in Ireland, I understand that to be, again, I'm facing people that I face in my primary school when I'm looking for work. I'm facing people who had never, who have never integrated, who have never met people like me, who think we're alien and have all these pre- negative preconceptions of blackness because of this concern and troker ads of black people being poor yeah. and all this. So, I mean, so I'm definitely so I'm facing this and I'm thinking, how am I going to, how can I just, I've already proved myself with my, with my education. Why do I need to prove myself anymore that I'm human and I'm capable? So that's definitely a struggle. And then I now for, decided to go into the King's Inn to, be, to train to be a barrister. And I, I was recently at this talk at the King's Inn and they were saying how, I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> but, <anyway, laughs> but it's the truth. But they were saying how, you know, in the legal, in the industry, so barristers, barrister doesn't, you don't, you can't advertise for work. The solicitors have to come to you to give you work. Right. And, Prior to that, I had I was I had a conversation with a judge, and he had explained how the the bar is is not polarized. It's very equal because no one there's no everyone is independent. You're self-employed, so there's no groupings of cliques. And I said, asked him, but what about the solicitors? Like, oh, they're very polarized. Left ring firms, the right ring firms, like they're very polarized. So I'm thinking to myself, if I can't advertise for work, and the people who can give me work are polarized <laughs> how will i ever get any work yeah. if the solic- if the solicitors industry are grouped into and that's the industry i initially interviewed for which i definitely experienced a lot of um and they they do fair enough to them they do know that they have issues and recently a, fr- a, a former classmate of mine may organize an event in the law in the law um, society to highlight the issues that are there and how they can really tackle these um these biases that people of um, of African descent or ethnic minorities face. So they do know they have an issue. So me as a barrister, practicing to be a barrister, when I get into the to the to, to um the industry, it's going to be it's going to be we're going to be poor. Right. And that's I mean, I'd like to if there's any rich bar black barristers out there, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't plan to go into that industry where I have I have to depend on people to to eat. Yeah. People who come from polarized backgrounds, people who come from mm. these black and white, or you know, 
North, the North, Northern Ireland Christian, Catholic, Protestant ideals, people who are already othering in general. Like I'm already female. Women have issues as lawyers. Blackness on top of that is too yeah, much, you know. Absolutely. So I'm gonna stay in. I'm gonna stay in industry and <laughs> where I can fight for my uh, employment, like Dr. Edmund said and Dr. John said. We can just fight as much as we can to get the jobs that we do deserve. Again, I and I have been privileged because I do have a law a law degree. People tend to think that you're capable of doing many things. So I have been privileged in my work in the career that I the career path that I did choose that I have progressed in that career path. However, the career path that I desire, mm. I it's for me to progress would be very difficult. And I did I know I do, I don't have a PhD. But I did do my <laughs> my LLM research. <laughs> but, um, I did do my uh, in my thesis was called the lessons Ireland can learn from the integration of ethnic minorities into legal institutions, and I compared that with the US and the UK, because from early on I underst- I knew that there was there were no black judges, nobody looked like me in there, so I knew there would be issues, and there are issues right now that people of African descent are facing when you're facing, when you're accused of a crime, jury's white, yeah. George is white, everybody's white. <laughs> you know, so that's, that, that, that's Ireland. It's Ireland is going to face a lot of issues in that in the future. So I did do a lot of research and I compared and I just basically highlighted what America did and what the UK had, did, had done and how Ireland can learn from that and how losing foresight, you don't have to make the mistakes. America's already had already had black people uk has had black people for, for donkey years we can learn from these other nations how have they integrated how have they progressed and not make the mistakes that they have made already mm. and there is research out there and one of if the if anyone from the department of justice whatever is listening to this you can read my research and find out the solutions <laughs> that i that i highlight well, you know we're going to ask for a couple of <laughs> solutions because we're coming towards the end we still got doctor and um, we still got lasan to to I want to thank you all for, I mean, it's, it's this, I, could, I could keep on listening to you guys for, for ages. I'm not even going to bring my point in. But I do want um, to end on a positive note with all of you. Like, if you were standing in front of... Heather um, Humphreys. Yeah. If you were standing in front of the Department of Justice and you had to say, give them two or three advice, what would it be? I'm going to start from you, Dr. Eben, because I know you have to go. What would it be? Yeah, I know you have solution. If you were standing there and say to them, listen, there's a brain drain and it's African brain drain. What would be some of the two or three solutions that you would give them? That they, um, they can I, I think I would start with talk. I would start with talking to people of black African descent. The first thing I would say to them first is don't give up. Don't get tired because that's how the system operates. The minute you get tired and you give up, you will be stratified. So those who are able to navigate the system are those who keep getting up, keep pulling yourself back up and keep getting back in the game. When you get knocked back so many times, my research shows that people become demotivated and then they get tired and they stop trying. Please, 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 if nothing else goes through today, I'm just asking you, don't give up. The system gives way after a while. So just keep going, going. For the Department of Justice, again, we've just started a campaign called No to Brainwaste. And that campaign, we have five key things that we are asking for. Look, we are saying, look, if the department really, really wants to stop talking about it and just do something, the change should start from them. The department is extremely white. The department, we should lead by example. All our government parastatals, not the 1%, they are talking about 1%, you know, no. 
We are just saying a simple thing. It's a very simple thing. Add one. All we're saying is to reduce the unemployment rate of black Africans in Ireland from 40, 43% to 63% down to 20%. All we are asking is every organization, every SME, just add one. Add one person of black African descent to your organization. Now, we are not saying that the big organization should add just one. Every department within your big organization add one. So if you're AIB, all of your branches should add one. The Department of Justice, all of the accounts, um, you know, marketing, you know, every department should add one. If we do that, that is a small number of people we are talking about. I met a student, you know, um, who three years in a university, she said she has never been in a classroom with a black student. That is shocking. She has never had a conversation with a black student. That is extremely shocking. So the second thing I would say, and the United Nations has asked us to do that as part of the decade, you know, um, celebrating the, the decade of people of black African descent, the UN passed a resolution that students in, in, in schools must be taught about African history. We have to start early from primary school to secondary school to universities. We should teach about Africa. That Eurocentric view, we must overcome it. I mean, look at Nana's story. I, I noted that that really upset me to, mm. to be experiencing um, difference from the age of 10. But I have two boys, these experiences as well. We just, God rest our soul, we just, um, feel, you know, talking about, I, I listened to the Ray Darcy um, interview uh, um, with Mia's mother, you know, um, the, the girl, you know, the 16-year-old. Mm. She, you know, racial bullying in school, you know, and that started for her as at the age of 10. And I think it started even earlier than that. Probably 10 is the age where you're able to articulate your mm -hmm. experiences. So please, we, education is key. We have to start teaching about understanding difference, how to work with difference, not toleration. Nobody wants to be tolerated. How to accept difference. Again, in my book coming out, I talk about difference, what difference means, how people recognize difference, how we can teach people how not to impute judgment, negative judgment on others, because that's where it comes from. When we impute negative judgment, when we meet people, you know, it is our trigger. You know, so again, so key thing, just two key things, education, education, education. Let us begin Amen. to teach. And don't, not just Eurocentric teaching, you know, get people who have experienced difference, you know, to think from primary school. It starts as early as that. Nobody is born racist, but if you raise up young people in the corridors of racism, they will learn how okay. to Thank you so much. Just going to get two quick things. Thank you so much. We've come to the very end. Just one quick thing to say to the Department of Justice concerning employment, Dr. John? Well, I, you know, I think that, you know, I'd reiterate everything that I've already said and, and you know, highlight Dr. Joseph's work because it's really important. Thank you. Dr. Joseph's work and Nana you got one one thing so yeah I think I kind of said this before which is to learn from other nations that's what I would say to Ireland to the Department of Justice to every like learn other people other nations have had people of, of African descent in their countries learn from them and implement their solutions and learn from their mistakes Thank you very much. We can learn from other people's mistakes. We don't have to keep on making ours. Mm -hmm. We can learn from it. Thank you so much. You've been a great rest. Thank you, Dr. Ebon Joseph. Appreciate you, Dr. John. Appreciate you. Nana, a future barrister. We appreciate you all. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yes, future. <laughs> Thank you. And um, don't forget, the whole purpose of this podcast is so that 
Go online if you are hearing this podcast. Go online, sign the petition, make your point known to your TD. It's important for us to have the the crime, the hate crime legislation in place. Yes. And as John said, it is about time that we come in line with what Europe says. That's what we're asking them for. We're part of Europe. Everything ought to come in line. So thank you very much for your wonderful guest. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Thank John you. Nana, Bye-bye. it was lovely being on the show with you. It's an honor. You too, thank, you. thank you. Thank Welcome back to the second part of um, the Racism is Really an Island. And today we have been looking at employment and the African migrant in Ireland. We had John, Dr. John, Dr. Ebon Joseph, and we had the wonderful um, lady Nana. And they've all been talking about, and we've heard the research about employment of the African descent in Af- in Ireland. So now we have with us Lassan. Lassan, how are you? I'm good, Mary, and yourself? Lass- very, very good. Lassan is the current chair of the African Centre. He's been a lot of work um, bringing um, the situations of African descent in Ireland to public attention. Lassan, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Thank- Mary. Delighted thank you for you again. thank you so much for for joining us. Now, Lasan, there's been one that we have discussed is the campaign of no brain waste. Can you give us an insight to how that started, what it is, and what it intends to do for the Africans in Ireland? Great, Mary. Um, thanks for having me, and uh, please let me. Um I start by praising a wonderful uh, woman, uh, Dr. Ebon Joseph, that carried out a, an extensive research on the, on the field, and that has highlighted a lot of issues and seriousness about uh, African uh, and, and migrants in general um, uh, on unemployment or on unemployment in Ireland, which uh, was published re- recently. And um, as we do say in my language, um, the, what women want, God wants it. And with the power of this woman and uh, two of uh, other ones, uh, Linda and uh, Sandra, they have they started um, um, discussing this topic and uh, engaging with people who uh, have been facing some serious discrimination and 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 and, and issues um, uh, around employment. And um, they started the conversation around, and then I was um, luckily to be contacted. Uh, to see how we can um, address these issues, because I, I've been kind of bit uh, socially um, through the social media, uh, uh, raising some concern about that as well. As you said, the Africa Center um, is um, an umbrella organization of African uh, diaspora organization in Ireland, and one of the issues that we're facing, even though we were promoting fair integration, um, uh, development, education, 
um, standing against racism and discrimination is the lack of uh, employment, which is now at the highest level of over 43%. And um, the recent island census uh, result is pointing out uh, some serious um, employment issues of uh, African and people of African descent in Ireland. So that was an opportunity for me to step the scales by, by, by joining the campaign. And what we are calling for is um, to, an attention to recruiters, state companies to open an eye to what is really uh, unacceptable in our society in the 21st century, where a vulnerable group or ethnic uh, a certain group of people have been labeled with what we cannot uh, truly um, understand, but unfortunately are the most uh, vulnerable and out of the, the uh, out of employment. So these are the issues that um, we've been raising, and we are calling for companies, recruiters to uh, make sure that um, they include diversity uh, in, in in the employment uh, strategy and the recruitment to make sure that we um, reduce the rate and, and and the level of unemployment of uh, African and migrants in Ireland. Wow. So uh, and. Um how, how long has this been going on for? How long has the campaign been? Uh, I think we are at our um, we uh, last Wednesday was our third um, town hall meeting, which has been very successful and and building a great momentum. Uh, but we do it each month, once one meeting a month. But on, online, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, and uh, we've been um, we have emails, and we've been uh, walking around with. Uh, uh, activists and and people who are, who are really committed to that campaign. Uh, so it's it's now a few months, our third month, four months now. We we've been we've been running this campaign. So, who are the people that would attend? Are they unemployed or they're underemployed? Which kind of people are you? Would be locally, attending? locally we have people, who, even though they're employed, are conscious of of, of what is happening to unemployed. So they they they're also supporting the campaign. If m- m- most most of people like ourselves, myself or born or other might be be, be employed, but um, among us there are a lot of people who are unemployed. And um, like John, you spoke. John was unemployed before getting job recently. Uh, we have um, uh, Sandra, who I uh, will not uh, really um, discuss her, her matters here, but who had been she's. European, but discriminated in many ways of getting an employment in Ireland, and that 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 that, that is um, not acceptable. And uh, when it comes to African and people of African descent, the the, the discrimination is widen, and the gap is is, is more widen than, than, than expected. Okay, so are you so like a are, recruitment they're mixed, agent? They're mixed, uh, mixed, mixed people um, who, who who are meeting uh, around this campaign. Could you give us an insight to when you have these meetings? They come once a month. What what, what kind of things? Ta- what takes place there? Okay. What takes place is that we discuss about stories because people co- um, contact us and, 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 and with testimonies. Uh, some of them tells us the, what they have gone through. Some of them are telling us what they have done, and um, most of our discussion is around. You know, building a strong campaign, getting everybody involved, 
get an alliance uh, partnership, engaging with recruiters, um, pushing uh, companies to make an effort to to uh, to, to include diversity and um, spe- specifically uh, upscale the, the the hiring of our migrants and, and people of African descent um, to, to to reduce the rate of unemployment in, in, in these communities. That's fantastic. So, um, we we do discuss uh, different topics when 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 we meet. Right. And what has been the response so far from the companies? Can you tell us, please? Sorry, say it again. What has been the, what response have you had from the com- the actual companies, the people who companies out there? When you're telling them the stories, what has been the response? I think I think at this stage, um, some we, the, the the feedback is is, is is good so far, but we 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 expect more engagement with companies. Um, I think the last time when we met was to effectively to upscale the um, build the, the allies building. And, and also the campaign and and, and identifying uh, partners and so on, and um, I, I, I believe that um, from what we see at the at the beginning on, on on getting all that done will probably increase the interest of companies um, to, to 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 look into what we are doing and probably support the campaign. Uh, but at this stage, there, there's already some companies that are willing to to work with us and and and, and promote that. When you say work with you, are they willing to hire um, African migrants? Oh. Are they willing to have them as intern, internship oh, for internship? Officially, I have not um, gotten a, a, maybe an update to that because um, the person who will be uh, the person to, who's dealing with that uh, working group because I'm more into the campaign but also, um, but within the, the the working group, we have um, the Allied Building, which uh, will um, been dealt with one of our colleagues. But um, in terms of our two companies that I, I am aware are that they are willing to um, to support the the, the recruitment of uh, African migrants, but that need to be this relationship needs to be built, and um, we need to work it out. But in terms of uh, of opportunities, I believe there 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 are good opportunities there that we 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 will tap into and make sure that uh, um, these people do, do the right thing. Because when we look at in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, it I I know that last week there was a conference which I wasn't um, able to attend. But when we are talking about diversity and inclusion, and we have companies who are sitting with with thousands of employed and they don't even have one migrant. Or one uh, African within the, the, themselves, and they're talking about diversity and inclusion. It does not really um, fall in, in line with what, what they stand for. And we, we, I believe, we could use all these um, opportunities and, and entries to make sure that companies do the right thing if they really want to promote uh, diversity and inclusion. So, mm-hmm. but at this stage, I wouldn't say uh, this company or one or two companies have come so far to do that. But we have a I am full of hope that um, this will come in line with, with, with the campaign and with our future engagement. Now, thank you so much for that. What is the effect on the average African that's unable to get employment? What, uh, because you work with people on a day-to-day basis, what, what, what would you say was the emotional, physical... What is the effect that you're seeing on those people who are coming in and say, listen, I've tried, I've done all my, 
my heart is, but, but I'm not. I'm not getting there. What what effect uh, are you many, seeing by that many, people? It's not to it's not to stop you, uh, but in reality, um, the reason is well known, even though people don't want to, you know, say it louder. And um, unfortunately, I'm not the kind of person who is uh, kind of a much uh, kind of a, you know <laughs> going around my world because I believe uh, the growing growing racism and discrimination is one of the causes that migrants and particularly Africans and African descent cannot get uh, hired in this country or in many companies. Um, one of the things that is, is, is phenomenal is the discrimination that um, you as an African already get either by submitting your CVs or even going for an interview and how you you might be already labeled from being an African without being properly assessed in terms of skills, in terms of abilities, in terms of knowledge, in terms of uh, contribution on how you can make uh, as an employee than who you are. This, this is something that is affecting many of, uh, of Africans and people of African descent. Um, yet some people go to, 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 to interviews um, and they get disappointed, even though they feel that they are highly qualified. I, I remember one of the cases that I, I, I heard recently, somebody who went for an interview, even despite, uh, you know, looking for um, that job, uh, deadly, was told that um, he would, would be highly qualified. And I believe somebody being highly qualified for a job should not exclude him from, from being hired because at least it shows that the person has the potential and, 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 and the skills needed for this job. So if you are leaving somebody who is highly qualified for somebody who's less qualified for the job, I wonder, is it really um, you know, honest that the, the, the recruiter wanted somebody to do to, to make achievement or to do to, 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 to the job rightly, properly. So it, it, it doesn't explain to me why somebody who is highly qualified will refuse job for somebody who is less qualified. So no. therefore, it's the problematic of untold story, which is based on the, your, your, your origin, your background, or, or, or who you are, instead of what you are capable of doing or the ability of of doing the job. So many of them send their CVs even from their names or whatsoever, don't even get uh, acknowledged or even call for any, an interview. And those who go for an interview don't get it. 43% compared to 7, 8, or less than 10% in, to, to the EU average uh, in terms of uh, Africans, unemployment in Ireland is too high. And it's, it, it, it's mm. worrying to, 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 to sit down. Do you know, I'm... I, I really understand where you're coming from. But as someone that used to um, spend time when I was in England, I used to um, be on interview panels. And um, you could be highly qualified, but if you don't have the experience and the um, the knowledge of the company, um, that used to be a, a negative mark on those who were coming in. And I can remember you know, a particular lady that I did know and I had to say on the panel that I knew. And I said to her, you know, the reason you didn't get this job is not because you're not qualified, 
but you did not actually read the literature that we sent you about the company. And so therefore, if you would apply next year and take note of everything you've been sent and take time to actually get to know the organisation, you'd be quite surprised you'll get there. And she did that. And she did make it the following year. I wasn't on the panel at that particular time, but I'd given her the insight as to, look, this it's not that you were not qualified. Could that be the same for some of these situations you're finding? Or obviously, based on that research, is definitely a signal saying we don't want Africans here. I'm just putting that out to you. What do you think? Uh, Mary, I think what you're saying is completely understandable. Um, yes, it's you could be highly qualified, but you do not have the skill for the job. But I believe it has I, w- I was on the same situation a few years back. Before applying for a job, you do not apply for a job that you, you are not certain that you can carry on, on the, uh, do the job. The, the, the job has specification, uh, description, and requirement. And I believe anyone who sees a job for example i would not if you are you are recruiting a, a pilot today or uh, recruiting maybe a doctor or whatsoever even i'm on an applied I, I can't go and apply for this job because i am quite confident that i don't have the skills but if you are recruiting somebody in the community sector or you know in, in, in different fields where i failed i have the skills of course that i will go for and most of these applicants at least will have a certain basic knowledge or, or skills set for this job before they go. Some of them highly qualified for this job as the, the recruiters often respond to. So, and I also believe as a recruiter, if somebody does not have the skills during the interviews and so on, or the expertise, they will be straight away told, or you might be qualified but because of this this is this. but most of them most of those who have who have come to me or told me their stories had never faced that and guess what mary i give you an example of recent shocking and alarming situation where a migrant got a job after being you know told uh, how she will be the right person to do the job it only took that person four days to be fired on base of cultures of belief that uh, looking at the person working or doing a job was not fit for that job without a reason that uh, she, she failed to do this right or this right. So where is it that culture of belief of an individual or recruiter assessing an employee within three to four days with no warning, with no, you know, um, proper reason to accuse the employee for not doing his or her job and be fired on base of that. It's not explicable. And I believe, I believe, the skills are something that might be the reason some people might fail, but the majority are based on discrimination, racism, or labeling that we can only guess, but we never come up to answer it till we challenge this way of doing things. Right. Now, one. Of the, thank you for that. I appreciate that um, insight. One of the things that um, does happen in other 
other nations, of course, we could learn from. And Nana pointed that out yesterday. Um, she did point that out, that um, other countries have a way of dealing with this kind of um, discriminations that Thailand could learn from. Now, incentive to companies to have the right, com- you know, the representative of the community in which they're in. Like, say, for example, if I don't want to use any company, a, a company that is based in um, in Balamon, then they should represent the people based in Balamon. There should be a representation right through um, the strata of that company, the structure of that company, representing yeah. the people who live there. Would there be like a, to have an incentive for companies to recruit those who are actually going to represent the people in the community, of which Africans are part of that community? Should there be yeah. an incentive for the companies to do that? And who should give this incentive? After all, most of them get off with paying less tax than most of us. Um, look, um, I'm not quite sure um, if some companies on the ground, which I will not name, uh, have changed their policies. I, I remember a few years back um, uh, applying for one of the biggest uh, uh, store in, in, in Ireland uh, where I, 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 I was... I was um, um, asked to um, wait, even though my interview was successful, because um, they they had to assess Irish people first, and then they will be assessing European. And if there is no qualified um, person to do the job, I will then call over to take my position. Uh, Mary, this is a bit kind of uh, shocking to, 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 to tell you because there are some companies on the ground who will tell you that their priorities are Irish and second European and then migrant or so-called African or other ethnic backgrounds. So this is a total, totally unacceptable in our society today in base of, uh, of, of the Discrimination Act and, and the Employment Act that um, as a African and an, an Irish citizen, I'm still not treated as an, a, a new citizen or either even an Irish because of my color or my background. These are the things that we have to really be mindful that they, they, we cannot be um, uh, standing for one thing and doing the opposite things at the same time. By, and, and many companies are applying this and they're getting away with it and we should not allow that. We should openly criticize what is wrong to be wrong. So um, the example of, of Balimon could be a um, good example, but how that will be done, at the end of it, if you don't pay attention, um, that company will still be based on um, those who will benefit within the community and not everyone. How do we make it more inclusive and promote diversity within that company? Uh, it remains a big question mark to me. But I, I think the idea is not bad. If companies could really uh, promote the well-being and the, you know, the, 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 the economical benefit of, uh, of the local communities and making sure that people uh, don't have even to travel miles away or uh, even leave their own um, community or travel abroad to look for jobs and so on because uh, the, the opportunities around them, it will be good. But... Let's, let's be mindful of what might, might happen when we come to, to, to these terms on, uh, and, and, and ideas of how things will be wrong. 
Well, thank you so much, um, Lassan. You've um, enlightened us a great deal about what's actually going on in the employment um, sector. Now, if you had anything to say to the Department of Justice, because at the end of the day, it's all about justice, it's all about equality, and they promised that everybody should have the right to to work, the right to be who they're supposed to be. Um, what would you be saying concerning this campaign to them? Because it's like double campaign now. We're campaigning for the... Um, hate crime legislation to be passed so that everybody would be able to function on that level. And at the same time, there's this hidden part of unemployment that is making people not able to function as a valid member of the community, of the society. What would you, what would be your advice to them? Um, Mary, to the Department of Justice, I think I have been very vocal on, on, on many issues, um, related uh, not only to employment, but even to human rights issues and, and, and discrimination and racism issues. And you, 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 you mentioned it earlier on um, uh, about the campaign um, for hate crime legislation, which we uh, have joined many other organizations recently to launch an online petition and, and, and been calling to the Department of Justice and the, the Irish authorities to um, uh, legislate hate, hate crime in Ireland to make sure that uh, those issues um, going around does not um, continue to affect our community. But in, in, in reality, when it comes to employment, it's not only the Department of Justice, but all stakeholders and all institutions around the country must open an eye and, and, and ears to listen our call and cry out because there's a problematic going on in this country and we should uh, be mindful now before it's too late. Um, Recruitment goes on in many companies, and I would tell you, if it was like talking now that every company's uh, 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 institution uh, look around themselves and see who are the comp- composer of their, their, their employees, where are they from, what are their background, what you know, how were they recruited? So this is a, this is a question that everyone should ask themselves and say, look, what can we do? Because what we are asking. Is not it's not impossible. Like the, one of the simple campaign that we're, we're we're saying is like at least add one or add one more. It means that even though you you had a migrant or you had an African on, on your company, let's think of how can you um, make sure that you increase the the, the rate of employee from the, the, that background by adding one more. Or if no one, why don't recruit one? And if that's the case, even though the one you recruit, how can you mentor that person to make sure that the person becomes something? And one of the stories that I listened recently is like about a security, somebody working as a security uh, in, in a company where, you know, she, at the end of it, it, it came to the attention that that person had even a, a master's degree and so on. And within that company, the company is recruiting. Why is it that somebody with that background and qualification is standing at the door, you know, hours and hours, just watching people around, while the person might have been able to contribute in terms of, of, of administration, in terms of, uh, you know, um, expertise, in terms of skills, to, the, to, to what is happening inside the company, than allowing that person, letting that person be stranded and, uh, doing something that might not be um, the person um, 
frame job and so on. It will be good that company look at the qualification of each one in their company and see how can they mentor those to not only to succeed and achieve, but also increase the number by adding one or adding one more to, 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 to their sector. And this call is not only to the Department of Justice, but to all companies, private, public, you know, New Deal who have uh, the ability to, um, to, to help sustain these uh, unemployment issues um, and increase um, the, the, the level of employment within the African mig- uh, and, and migrant background, that would be very, very welcome. Thank you very much. We've had a wonderful yeah. time with you. Thank you, you for welcome, extending a lot of information to us there. And, um, yeah, we'll keep on knocking on the doors until the doors yeah. are open. We will not and, give and, up. And, and probably not, 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 not to promote uh, our campaign, but I, I, in, in terms of what uh, one of the questions that you're taking, um, the last question, I believe that those companies listen to us and um, those institutions listen to us or recruiters listen to us if they really want to uh, um, help in that. They could contact us. We have um, an email called uh, no to brain waste at gmail.com. They can write to us. And we have a, a social media, Facebook, Twitter. They can contact, to, contact us. And, and we can engage in discussion and see how we can really get that done. Thank you, Mary. Thank you very much, Lasan. Appreciate everything you've done You're today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Right. My sincere thanks to my guests, Nana Nubi, Dr. John Wilkins, Dr. Ebu Joseph and Lasan Quedrego. I want to thank you, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Please join me next time when my special guest will be Winifred Akiyemi, Public Engagement Facilitator, Irish Aid Centre, Sev Okechi Ike. He is the Founder, Secretary and Director of the African Irish Development Initiative. Leela, Women in Tech, Social Enterprise, and hashtag Women Are Remarkable. Noni Banda, she's a trainee solicitor and works for the Mental Health Department of the African Centre. Diane Iwe, studying her Master's in Social Work at Trinity College. Thank you.